let's get let's look at our at our message today. We're wrapping up our our it starts here series. Um, it starts here at all meetings. Our, we've been having our missions emphasis, and we've been looking at a book, um, how to become a contagious Christian, and we learned something about these items last or two weeks ago or three weeks ago. These these items have a a, a purpose beyond what you might think, a grill and a mirror, and that these, that these are secret weapons that can be used to engage in the mission of God right here in our Jerusalem. So we have a, we've had a theme verse for this last six weeks. It's been Acts 1.8, and I hope you can all know it by now. It says this, Acts 1.8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And so we've been looking at it starts here, meaning it starts in Jerusalem and then goes Judea, then Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, interestingly, when Paul wrote that from, you know, from, or what was said rather, um, from, from, um, Jerusalem, and they said someday you'd go to the uttermost parts of the earth, we now live in the uttermost parts of the earth. Compared to where they were at that time, we are completely on the opposite side of the world. They didn't even know here was a here. But here we are. And I always said, we pastored in the UP for, for um, 10 years, and I always said, go to the uttermost parts, the UP. I always go to the uttermost parts of the earth. So I said, I was called by God to go to the uttermost parts of the earth, which is the UP. I said, but this is the uttermost parts of the earth. But now that we live here, this is our Jerusalem. And so we now start here, and we go to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, we as a church have been pretty good, meaning not just our church, Portview Church, but the evangelical church in America, as well as the Assemblies of God we're part of. We've been pretty good at going to the uttermost parts, establishing something really good here, and then going there. But we've been looking the last number of weeks at a reality. We've been looking at some, some real statistics and saying that what's happening is what's going on here is beginning to kind of crumble. And so we need to say, if we're going to ever go out there and do something effective, we need to be better at doing what we're doing here. And so, fortunately, we have places like Portview that are doing great. And so we said, how do we even do better than we're doing at starting here? Meaning, helping people here, our friends, our family members, our co-workers, our neighbors, come to know Jesus themselves personally. Because that's what it was talking about in Acts 1. You will receive power and you'll be what? You'll be my... Witnesses. What's a witness? A witness is somebody who tells somebody else about, about an event. And in this case, he's referring specifically to the event of Jesus changing your life. That you met the risen Savior. That he's alive. He's, he's not on a cross anymore. That he's alive. He's real. And that he changes our lives. And as we meet him, we can tell other people about him. And we said that in the process of doing that, there's a couple of secret weapons. When these were originally up here, there's a great big box over them and People came up and looked into one box. And we said, these are secret weapons. Why? Well, the grill's a secret weapon because it represents any way that you can socially connect with those near you who don't know Jesus yet. So we talked about the fact that take your grill. We even gave away Johnsonville brats. Take your grill, fire it up, put some Johnsonvilles on there, and invite some people over who are your neighbors or friends, coworkers, who just don't know Jesus yet, and you're not there to preach at them, you're there just to reveal the love of Jesus to them. So the grill represents things you could do. Your grill might be your fishing boat that you invite somebody. Your grill might be your, your whatever, your tickets to the brewer game 
that you use what you have to socially connect with people who don't yet know Jesus. Because we found this. The statistics tell us that after five years of being in the church world, of coming to know Jesus, if you didn't know Christ and you come to know him, within five years, the average person has zero real friendships with anybody outside the church context. That our entire world, now we understand community is really important. So we understand that having being friends with one another is super important. But we also are trying to remember, but this context, this community has a purpose beyond just our blessing. That we can bring other people into this context so that they can meet Jesus. And so the grill is a great way to, to be friends with somebody who might not be part of your church world. And then the mirror. Why the mirror? Who does the mirror, what does the mirror represent? When you look in this, Gary, what do you see when you look in that mirror? Yeah, you. Beauty, man. You see it's something beautiful. You see yourself. It says, and the pastor shall be, you will receive a power, and the pastor shall be a witness everywhere you pay a salary and send him. Did it say that? It says, and you will receive power, and who will be my witnesses? You, everybody point. If your parents ever tell you it was impolite to point, go like this. I want you to all point at me. Come on, you can do it. Last week, somebody was in church visiting, and I said something with your hands, and I saw them so uncomfortable, they would not do this. It was like, you can't do that in church. You can do that in church. You're pointing at me. Now, I want you to look at your hand. How many fingers are pointing back at you? How many? Three. So when you point, there's three more pointing back at you. So you... And me, we, shall be his witnesses. And the mirror reminds us, we look in the mirror, that, um, that, it's that, that we are the important agency. If we aren't doing it, it doesn't happen. And so we shall be his witnesses to what's happened in our life um, here in our Jerusalem first. And when it's strong here, then we can go to the next stage and the next stage and the next stage of, of expansion. So that's what we've been talking about the last number of weeks. And so today... We're going to wrap this series of messages up about it starts here. And I'm going to focus on some of the stuff that if you got the book, and so many of you bought the book, Becoming a Contagious Christian, and have been reading it. If you haven't completed reading it, just keep reading it. It's a great short little book. It, it works, you know, it's, it's, it's really helpful. I told you that it is the book that was the most influential in my life and Suzanne's life in helping us structure our lives in a way that helps us positively influence for, um, people for Jesus. It's an old book. It's like 25 years old. And so um, we want to talk about that today, some of that stuff, you know, taking from the Word of God. And I want to be just really, really practical today. And I hope I'm always really practical, but I want to be really practical today. So I want you to do something with me. I want you to imagine, and I'm hoping this isn't far-fetched, I want you to imagine that you have been doing some of the things that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, that you have been revealing Jesus through your life, through your kindness and your love and your sacrifice for others. In the book, he would call that being what? Highly potent. He'd say like salt is salty and it's effective, and light is bright and it shines. He said, so if you would live a life like Jesus, being a person of kindness and love and grace and forgiveness, that you have hopefully been saying, you know, I really, in order to be effective, I need to live this high potency kind of lifestyle where my salt is, my salt is salty, where I really affect the things around me. So if you've been, just imagine, you've been saying, Lord Jesus, help transform me. And we understand transformation around here. That transformation happens indirectly 
that as you, uh, you know, challenge your narrative and engage in spiritual direction or spiritual activities with a group of people filled by the Holy Spirit, and everybody's going, what's that mean? You ask somebody else in this church what that means, and they'll tell you what that means. Um, that you will be transformed into Christ's likeness indirectly. So you've been engaging these things. You go, you know, I'm looking at my life, and I'm seeing some high potency here. So imagine you're, say, looking in a mirror, and you're going, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of reflecting Jesus in my life. And then you have been doing something else. Maybe this is brand new for you lately. You've been intentionally, not an accident, intentionally spending time with a few people who don't yet know Jesus. They're good people. You want to be friends with them. You're not doing it for ulterior motives. You really like them. You're spending time with them. They don't know Jesus yet. In the book, that would call what? That would say you're what? Close proximity. You're spending time with people that don't yet know Jesus yet. And now... You're ready to turn the conversation towards spiritual matters. You've built a relationship, maybe. You're going to turn the conversation towards spiritual matters. And you can, you, you kind of do, you kind of open the door. You start talking about what Jesus has done in your life. And all of a sudden, you find somebody, you're kind of surprised by it. They actually care. Here's how you find out a whole lot more people care than you think. You think, I'm afraid to say that because they don't want to know. Here's the reality. Studies say that people do want to know. They want to see a changed life first, but they want to know. And you start talking to them and you realize they really are interested and they really do want to know more about a life with Jesus. And the question is, now what? What in the world do you say? Well, friends, don't panic. Okay? You're not panicking, right? Don't panic because we are here to help. And I hope today we can explain that a little bit. I think there's three really important things that you need to consider if you're saying, what, am I, what do I do from here? The doors kind of open. They're open to spiritual conversation. Three, three things you need to consider now in order to prepare you for then. So today we're going to consider these things. And I'll explain what they are as we go. We're going to explain, I'm going to talk about your style, who you are in your communication and relationship with other people, your message, we're actually talking about what could you really say to somebody, and then your church. Because what I found is every one of these three is important for your success in helping your family and your friends and your coworkers and your neighbors in their spiritual journey. And remember, that's what this is all about. We're here to help people find Jesus, help people in their spiritual journey as well as we want to grow in ours. We're not here to win. We're not here to convert people to our beliefs. We're not here to, to build our church. We're here to help people. That scripture is very clear. A person without Jesus is, is, is lost, is separated from God, and God doesn't want it that way, and he, and he helps people find Him so that they can help other people find Him. That's as simple as it is. And so I found that if you'll consider these three things, how you are, who you are, your style, your message, and then your church, that you'll think about those things, really importantly, strategically think about them, invest a little energy into them, you will become more effective at helping people on their journey. And there is no greater joy in the world than to know that you are an active participant in helping somebody else discover the most important thing in all of human history, that they were separated from God and that they can come into a living, vibrant love relationship with the Lord and that you had a little part to play in it. God did all the work, but he used you as a little part. There's nothing more wonderful in the world. So let's think about those three things today. The first one I said is your style. I'm not talking about what your hair looks like. Okay? Um, let's, let's, let's understand this. And I'm going to do something this morning. I only asked one of the people if I would do this. So I'm going to put two people on the spot. So Miranda, I already asked you, would you come up here? I'm not going to embarrass you. I promise you. Come up here, Miranda. And Dave, I want you to come up here. And 
Who else? Grace. Would you come up here? Okay, I won't embarrass you, I promise. Okay? No. Okay. So, let's look at these gals and guys this morning. They're beautiful. Give them a hand for being bold enough to come up on the platform. So, um, are these people kind of different? Different ages, different sexes, different uh, values probably. So, I'm going to ask you some questions. Dave, um, what is your favorite style of music? I have to say, besides Christian country, would be my next choice. Okay. I'd hate to tell you, but that's mine too. Um, Miranda, what's your favorite style of music? Oh, I don't even know. Do you have any favorite style of music? Do you have a favorite artist? Is it Suzanne? Yeah. It's Suzanne is your favorite style of music. Okay. What's your favorite kind of music? Um, can I say my favorite artist? Yeah. Shawn Mendes. Shawn Michaels? Mendes. You guys all know who that is. I don't, so, all right. Your sister's in love with him, okay. So, another question. What is your favorite food? Spaghetti. Spaghetti. Ice cream. Ice cream. Big old steak. A big old steak. Okay, uh, let me think. I, can't, I could ask you this. How old are you? 59. 59. 20. Until when? Tuesday. Tuesday, well, you'll be 21. 13. 13. Okay, what other questions can I ask you? I had some other ideas. Okay, what, and you might have had, is there a favorite book you've ever read? Not the Bible. Wow. That's a hard one, right? That's a tough one. Okay, think of another one. Um, what's your favorite color? Green. Green? Burgundy. Burgundy? Blue. Blue. All right, give these guys a hand. You guys can go back to your seats. Now, here's... What I'm hoping you're all seeing. They're in the same church. You're all part of Portview Church. Portview Church is a pretty small little world. Hope I didn't embarrass you guys. I, I, I hope I didn't do that, okay? Um, yeah. So, well, they say the number one fear that people have is public speaking. They say they're more afraid of public speaking than death. So I don't understand that they'd rather die than speak in public. But you feel like you're going to die sometimes. That's why I try to make it really easy. I try, try to think in advance. There needs to be some easy things, music and stuff. But when people are looking at you, it's hard, right? When people are staring at you, they think this is easy. It's not. So, but here's the point. Um, we all live right here in Ozaki County. We all go to the same church. We all have the same religious values, right? But we had completely different views on different things. One person like, I don't even know what style is the guy, guy she likes singing? Pop. Pop compared to country, compared to Suzanne. Which would be, uh, which would be church. Okay? Um, we're all in this same group, but we're all completely different. Remember from our study of Ephesians, God's plan is unity in diversity. His plan is that you don't come to church and all say, oh, now we all forget what we loved before and we all are little robots who become exactly the same and we all love the exact same things. No. God made you different by design. You're supposed to be different. And you all have different likes and dislikes. Now, thinking of all the different likes and dislikes just in this room, do you think that just maybe there's a one-size-fits-all way to present the gospel just to these three people? No. 
They're all going to receive things differently. You know, I could have asked things like, are you, are you an introvert or an extrovert? Are you an auditory processor or a tactile processor? All these different things. We all process things differently. But here's the deal. We're all totally different. So there is never a one-size-fits-all way to communicate to people. We can't even find, we couldn't even agree probably on saying, what's somebody's favorite kind of ice cream? We couldn't do it because, of course, it's butter pecan. Everybody knows it. See? A couple of us are very wise and know it's butter pecan. That's the best ice cream ever invented by man. So the truth is we're all really, really different. And we all not only learn differently, but we all communicate differently. Some of you have come to know me, and there's this thing about me. I'm not afraid to talk. Right? Some of you couldn't hardly squeeze a word out of you, you know, for money. We're all totally different. We all communicate. We all learn differently. We all communicate differently. God made us that way on purpose. And in this book we've been reading, Becoming a Contagious Christian, the author discusses six different personality types that he finds in the Bible, and he says that it's helpful to see which one of them most similarly looks like you, so you can identify how you communicate, and then you can own that, because here's what people do. They think, I have to do it the way Pastor Mark does. Well, you can't do it the way I do because you're not me. But I can't do it the way you do. So you need to identify it. It takes a little energy. You've got to think about it. Sometimes we never think about this stuff. You just say, oh, I'm going to do it the way that guy does, but it doesn't fit who you are. And so what you do is ineffective. So you've got to kind of figure out, who am I? Own that and say, I like it. You know what? I think I told you this one time. My teachers in elementary school made me a button. You know what the button said? I thought it was being positive at the time. It said, non-stop, stereo talk. They had me wear a button, non-stop, stereo talk. In grade school, everybody said, Mark, every report card talks too much. Every report card, straight A's, talks too much. A's, talks too much. I'm like, I'm getting A's. Can't you be happy with that? Talks too much. After I came to Christ, I realized God made me the way he made me on purpose. Now, you've got to be careful what you say. You get a little older and you learn what you don't say. I always tell Suzanne, I ought to get a reward for what I don't say. People always like, oh yeah, you just say like, you have no idea what I don't say. I should get, I should be, I should have a crown for what I for what I don't say. So, but you gotta you gotta admit it. I felt bad about who I was for years. I felt bad about who I was. Like, oh, I can't be more like my brother. But you know what? God made me the way He made me. You put a cork in my mouth, I'll explode. I just physically explode. Tie my hands down. I can't talk. It's impossible. So you've got to know who you are, identify it, own it, and then just be yourself and don't try to be somebody you're not. You need to understand that God made you who you are on purpose, that you are not a mistake. I used to thought that was a mistake. Something's wrong with me. And he wants to have you use your uniqueness to connect with others, maybe in ways that no one else can. Most of you... Don't go through the grocery store line and invite somebody to church. I do. I just talk to them. I talk to everybody. You know, not always when I invite them to church, but I just talk to everybody. That's me. That's not you. You need to do things different than I do them in order to be effective. So, we're going to really quickly go through six styles. And so I actually said, <laughs> raised eyebrows. You're going, you're going to go through six styles? And we're on point one. Don't worry, it's going to go quick. But here's my, here's my thing. You can spend some more time looking at this. Almost all of you bought these books. 
Spend some more time looking at them. Look up the verses that he uses to talk about them and say, who am I really? Spend some energy on it. So let's quickly kind of go through the six styles. The first one is this. It's Peter's direct approach. And each one is a biblical character. Peter's direct approach. Here's Peter. Ready, fire, aim. What's the order supposed to be? Ready, aim, fire. Not Peter. Ready, fire, aim. That, that's Peter. He was just direct. He was convinced he was right. There was no stopping him. He was confident. He was bold. He was right to the point. He, he told Jesus that Jesus was wrong one day. And Jesus said to him, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking of this the way God wants you to. So Peter, he's so direct, he goes to the Messiah and says, no, no, you're wrong. You know, he's this direct guy. But you know what? God needs those kinds of people. Who did God use in the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit falls, which Acts 1-8 is talking about, the Holy Spirit falls, these people all start speaking in tongues, they pour out into the streets, people go, what's going on? What, what did everybody think about them? They're drunk. They go, these people are a bunch of lunatics, they're drunk, and Peter stands up. Time out. He says, these guys aren't drunk, it's nine in the morning. This is that which was prophesied by the prophet Joel. In the last days, your sons, and he goes through and he does Joel's prophecy. He stands up in front of thousands of people and he says, no, this is what's going on. That's Peter's direct approach. Now, if that's you, and a lot of people think that's me, it's not me actually. That, that one's not me, but some of you are that way. You have no problem just walking up directly in a conversation with somebody and getting right to the point about a matter, even a spiritual matter. It's just kind of, you're very frank. Maybe people say you're blunt. You know, it's just kind of, kind of how you are. If that's you, it's okay to be you. People will tell you it's not good to be you. I'm saying it is okay. Because some people will only come to faith with that approach. But here's my, my warning. I'll only give a warning for two of, two of the groups. And it's the same warning for two of them right here. If this is you, understand something. It's not about winning. It's not about winning an argument. It's not about proving your point. It's about helping someone discover what they knew, what you need to know. And if you have this point, or the next one we're going to talk about is Paul's intellectual approach. If this is you and you identify yourself, I'm going to recommend there's a book you buy and you read. This book's good for any one of you, but you buy and read this book. It's called this, The Allure of Gentleness. The subtitle is Defending the Faith in a Manner in the Manner of Jesus by the author Dallas Willard. The best book on apologetics I've ever read in my life because what it talks about is that if you are in a confrontation or a conversation with somebody, it's not a confrontation, that the ultimate thing you're trying to do in your, the ultimate, he says, the ultimate goal of apologetics, which is explaining the gospel, the ultimate goal is revealing Jesus in you. It's not winning or proving. And, 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 and apologetics teaching in our seminaries has been completely common, commandeered, and it's about arguing and proving a point. And Dallas Willard, who's a brilliant theologian, was a brilliant theologian, says absolutely not, that's not the intention. It is to reveal Jesus through you. Excellent book, The Allure of Gentleness. So if you are a ready, fire, aim person, read the book, The Allure of Gentleness. Second part, second style, Paul's intellectual approach. And you know, I know who you are. You're the, you love to read books. Matter of fact, you know who I think of when I think about this? This is, um, some of you remember him. This is Pastor Bruce. When Pastor Bruce left here, he said to the movers, now I'm moving to California and I have some books. Oh, no big deal. He said, no, no, I have some books. They'd go to his house like, oh my goodness, we need like an entire noop, an entire pod extra to move his books to California. Because all he ever does is read. He goes off and says, piles of books. He just reads and reads and reads and reads and then loves to debate about what he's reading. 
when I have an issue about something, I still to this day call Bruce and I go, Bruce, talk this through with me. I want to think this through. Make sure I'm thinking straight. Because he's read every book on the planet. He remembers it all. I forget what I read 15 minutes after I read it. He remembers what we read in college together. And I'm like, how, Bruce? He's like, well, in that class, Mark. I'm like, we were in a class together? Honest to God. We were in a class together? Yeah. Oh, I don't remember that. He's like, well, we read this book. Don't remember that. You know. But that, some of you are like that. You're intellectuals. The Apostle Paul was an intellectual. He stood on Mars Hill and he wove together this beautiful intellectual argument for why the people there needed to worship the one true God. He used an intellectual approach to weave together a very well thought out plan to say this is how it, this all can, can, can work. You know, um, perhaps you're a Paul. If you're a Paul, own it. Don't shy away from it. Own it. You have a bent for intellectually discussing matters of faith and helping people see how sensible and logical it is to be a Christian. It is sensible and logical to be a Christian. That's why God made you. Own who you are. Get get some books. Read them. Learn everything you can. And don't be afraid to engage with people. Number three, the blind man's testimonial approach. In John chapter 9, Jesus heals a blind man. It just says he's a blind man. And no sooner was he healed... Then he was questioned about what happened because the deal is he healed the guy on the Sabbath and the Pharisees and the Sadducees were mad because they wanted to put Jesus away and he does it on the Sabbath and they, they go to him, what happened to you? And he goes, well, I'm not exactly sure, but remember what he said? But one thing I know, I was blind and now I see. He just told his story. Two weeks ago, we had 25 people standing on this platform for Teen Challenge. This is the approach they used. They're, they're, they're made to do it. They wrote their stories out, and one by one they stood up here, and they told about how they were addicted to, to drugs and alcohol, and their lives were train wrecks, and everything was going wrong. And they go, but then, usually I got incarcerated, and almost every one, and they gave me an option and said, go to Teen Challenge. And at Teen Challenge, I met Jesus, and I began to study His Word, and I'm a brand new person. That's the testimonial approach. i got a friend named Dan. Dan is a convicted drug dealer. Dan has sold, you wouldn't believe all the movie stars that you know that Dan has sold drugs to. He's got all pictures of them that he sold drugs to. Um, and I won't even say any of them. But, uh, but he sold drugs to all kinds of people. He one time came into Florida on a cigarette boat full of drugs from somewhere out in the ocean. They'd floated up and the, the police were after him. They lit the cigarette boat on fire and jumped into the sea and swam for shore. And he lived. His life is nothing but a string of crazy stories he did as a drug runner. But he met Jesus. He was facing 20 years in prison. And he tells his story about how the judge looked at him and said, I, said out loud, I don't know why I'm doing this. Smacked his gavel and said, get out of my courtroom. If I ever see you again, you'll never see the light of day. And he looked at his attorney and his attorney said, get out of here. And he walked out of the courtroom and they let him go. He said, I have no idea what was going on behind the scenes. but So Dan tells his story to everybody. I can tell you his story because Dan told me his story. Dan just tells about what Jesus did in his life and people are amazed. They go, wow, you were that and now you're this? That's the testimonial approach. This is what Jesus did in my life. Maybe that's you. If it's you, tell people your story. Number four, Matthew's intellectual approach. Or I'm sorry, interpersonal approach. This is, this is me. Matthew, in Luke chapter 5, it says that this hated tax collector, Matthew, um, had this wonderful encounter with Jesus. We don't know about it other than he says, come follow me. He's completely converted. And what's the thing he does? He gets all of his other thug friends who are ripping off their countrymen, who are tax collectors, and he says, guys, I'm throwing a party. Come to my house. And they come to his house, and who else does he invite? Jesus and his disciples. 
And he says, listen, based on the relationship I built with all of you people, I want to introduce you to something, some good news. He builds a relationship with them first, and then he looks for opportunity to share the good news. Um, Suzanne and I found just both of us, that's, that's our primary styles. We're both kind of the same. So we will fire up the grill and invite the neighbors over and say, hey, let's just talk. And it, it, when the opportunity, and I always understand in those situations, I think it's going to be two or three or four or five years until the opportunity is going to rise that I'm going to chance to really share my faith clearly with them. Number five, the Samaritan woman's invitational approach. Um, this is the woman at the well. Do you remember what she did um, when she when she was came to, to, to know Christ? As soon as she met Jesus, she went to her town and brought a bunch of people to hear what Jesus said. She was what we could call this, an inviter. She was an inviter. So maybe that's your style. You know what? You You can pack your minivan with people and bring them to church. I'm telling you this, if that's you... Invite everybody you can. Doesn't say she ever said a word to them about what Jesus had taught. She just said, come and hear this guy. I got changed. You come in here. And so she just got people and says, you've got to come over to this place. This place is called Portview Church. God changed my life there. You need to come there because you're going to hear about Jesus in this place. That's all she did. Some of you are inviters. Matter of fact, I generally think that that's the biggest group is inviters. And the last one, Tabitha's service approach. In Acts chapter 9, it tells about a woman named Tabitha, also known as Dorcas. And what it describes her says, she always was doing good and helping the poor. She was known for her loving acts of service, which she did in the name of Jesus. So friends, you know what? This is, this is can I use the word hip today? Is hip a bad, an outdated word? This is hip today. This is trendy today. What would you say? What would the right word be? This is trendy today. I got it. This is trendy today, to be a do-gooder, to help, to serve. And I say, jump on board and serve with the love of Jesus. But here's one distinction. When you serve, you say to them, and the reason I'm doing this is because Jesus loves you and so do I. That a lot of service that's going on now, even through the church world, no longer puts the pin, the label of Jesus on it. You can serve people all day long, and if they never know it's because of Jesus, it doesn't have its ultimate good outcome. So, if you're the service approach, serve away. So here's the point. Figure out who God made you to be and utilize that style to help people come to meet Jesus. And do it intentionally. Identify who, what your style is so that frees you up to just be you. Try not to be somebody else. And then begin to just interact with people according to your style. Does that make sense? I have found this one point, why I took the time to go through all six of these, this one point to be the most freeing point for people in sharing their faith with other people. Because they're always trying to do it like somebody else. If you figure out who you are, just be you. And if you can embrace the fact that God made you on purpose the way he made you, then it fires you up and it empowers you to just be you. And, and be successful as the you that you are. And so... Figure out who God made you to, to do. Spend some time, made you to be. Spend some time thinking about it. All right, let's move on. Once you are comfortable, because we said there's three things we need to cover. Once you're comfortable with, um, with who Jesus made you to be, God made you to be, then I think the next big thing to consider is, this person, remember, we're having this hypothetical thing where all of a sudden they want to know, what do I believe? You need to ask this, what do I say? How do I tell someone about Jesus? Well, first, let's remember something. This will simplify the whole thing. This could be the only point, but we're going to add a second one. 
You are simply telling someone about someone. You're not telling about a theology. You're not telling about a church. You're telling someone about someone. Jesus is real and alive, and he has changed your life. So ultimately, remember, there is no magic formula or special words that you need to tell someone about Jesus. You're telling them about what happened with you. Jesus, you're telling them about somebody you've come to know through personal experience and through the Word of God. But the question is, so, so what could I say? Well, I think there's two things that are really important. The first thing is this. Tell them your story. Even though you might say that's someone's specific type of approach, we saw in Teen Challenge, no matter who you are, anybody can tell their story. So let's start with your story. Um, this is the most important thing I believe you can ever tell someone when you're talking about Jesus. Because it's about your experience. It's not about something you read in a book. It's not about something you heard in a sermon. It's about knowing that Jesus changed you. Now, here's the deal. I can debate with people about different points of theology and different religions, and they can have their perspective, they can have our perspective. They can say they're right and I'm wrong. They can say I'm lying. But here's the deal. No one can debate the fact of what really happened in my life. That there is no debating whether it's true or not. What happened in my life, I'm telling you, happened in my life. And you can't tell me it's wrong. It's true. It happened in my life. I was there. And so were you. So you tell them your story. If you want to help someone understand what Jesus can do for them, tell them what he has done for you. How he has given you peace and helped you find forgiveness. And how he is filling you with love. Tell your story in a style that fits you. One of the verses that I think is so powerful in my whole life about this is Revelation 12.11. It says this, They overcame because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. Friends, people overcome the obstacles of their faith walk um, because of the blood of the Lamb, because of the blood of Jesus that He shed for them, and because of the word of their testimony. Your story makes a difference. Your story is powerful. Now, you can tell your story. Now, I think there is something else, though, that we need to consider when we think about what, a, what message our message can be. We need to think about, about how can we go beyond our story to what's happened to me to explain who Jesus is and what he has done. Now, there are limitless ways you can do this, but I want to show you a way that is not original with me. Matter of fact, it's been around for a long time. It's called the bridge illustration. And I'm going to use a little modified example of the bridge illustration because I think it, it kind of misses one point, and I'm going to point it out for you. And the reason I'm going to draw this for you is when we're done today, and I'm going to take us a couple minutes to do this, every single one of you can do this on a napkin in a restaurant or in a placemat. And when you're talking to somebody, you need to be able to explain it in a very clear and simple way. So here's what I do when I want to talk to somebody about Jesus. And they say, well, what's, what's, what's Jesus really done for you? And I'd say this, you know what? The first thing is that we matter to God, that people matter to God, that people are important. And I say, you know what? You've got to believe that people are important to God because I usually talk about you can't really look around and see this creation and not believe there's a creator. Say, come on, let's face it. We look around here. You can't say that this happened by chance. You can't believe that this eyeball it is so complex that a camera can't even duplicate what it can do somehow just crawled and out of primordial soup as a bug and then turned into a toad and then turned into a frog or whatever and then turned into a person somehow. It's, it's lunacy 
to believe that could happen. I don't care how much time you have. It absolutely takes a thousand times more faith to believe that nonsense than in God created. Right? So I usually start with that. I say, God, you know, God has to love people. So there's a God in heaven, and he loves us. And I say, so there's us, and there's God. And then here's the reality, that there's us and there's God, but I'll say, you know what, but I know this. I wasn't born feeling close to God. Matter of fact, I probably wanted to feel close to God. My parents took me to church a couple times a year, wanted to know it, but you know what, I never felt close to God. As a matter of fact, as I got older, I knew I wasn't close to God. That if I even thought about God, and I believed there was a God, but if I thought about God, I didn't really, I, I knew I wasn't close to them. But I usually say, do you feel close with God? And they'll be like, no. And I'll say, here's the reality, because the Bible tells us that between us and God, there's a great big divide, there's a big cavern, there's a big gulf between us. And that I'll say this, Scripture tells us that the reason this exists is that in, a, in the beginning, God and man were together. God created man and, he, and, and they lived in a garden together. And Adam and Eve were there and God made this whole world for them and he's going to bless them with it. But you know what? Adam and Eve had a choice. One day, the devil enters a picture. And the devil said, you know what? God told you what to do, but I'm going to give you a different option. You can either follow God or you can follow my way. And Adam and Eve said, you know what? devil says if we do it his way, we'll be like gods ourselves. And what happened? They sinned. And because of sin, they, sin is simply rejecting God. And they rejected God. And because of that, God said, you know what? You sinned. You rejected me. And you've, and you, and you've now separated yourself from me. And so the, and God literally took Adam and Eve and put him out of the garden. And they, would, and they would still lived in God's world, but they didn't live in that place of intimacy and, and ultimate blessing that God had. There's a divide between God and man, and, and that divide is because of sin. That sin has separated. Now, you should say to a person, have you ever sinned? I've never met one person who said they never sinned. I'm like, come on, you've never lied in your life? And they're like, of course, you've never stolen anything. Well, of course. Okay, we've all sinned. I've sinned, you've sinned. It's, it, every human has. And the Bible says that sin has separated us. And here we are over here, and we're living our lives like Adam and Eve, and you're over here, and there's something I always add to it that I'm saying is a modified version because I've never seen anybody else do this, but it's important to me, is I'll say this, and because I sinned, I'm looking away from God. I make a nose on the face. I always do. I make a nose on the face. I say, I'm looking away from God. But here's the reality of Scripture. It says that God is looking toward me. And God's trying to find me. And everything in Scripture is God is pursuing man. And man is looking away from God. And man's running in all their own ways. But God's pursuing them. God's chasing them. Matter of fact, no matter, you know, God's chasing them. Even if I said I wanted to get to God, I couldn't really get there. Because nobody, even if I turned around and faced this way and said, God, I want to come to you, any effort I would do to try to get to God would fall short. I could try religion. And the Bible says it doesn't work. I could try giving lots of money. And the Bible says it doesn't work because it says no matter what I do on myself to try to get to God, even if I tried to get to God, I wouldn't get there. Instead, it would end in death. And so it's just kind of a bleak picture that, that I'm over here really looking away from God, and even if I didn't look for God and I tried to find God, that this gulf between us, this sin issue, separates God and man. And God is looking for man. He's pursuing us, and man's primarily running away from God. And Even good works couldn't get me to God. It's going to end up in death. Because God said that if you sin, you will die. But God said, I'm pursuing you. And God said, but you know what? Remember in the beginning, God cares about us. And so God says, I'm going to make a way for you over here to come to me over there. And he sent his very own son, Jesus. 
to bridge the gap. That's why we have a cross. Jesus is the way. And God says, you know what? I'm going to come to you. I'm going to come in a way that you're going to understand. I'm going to come as in the flesh. Jesus, I'm going to reveal myself to you. And I am God myself. Jesus is God himself. And he pursues man. And then man can turn back to God. And they can be unified. And a man can accept this gift. This gift that, of the cross. The gift of what Jesus did is to die in our place. To take care of death. He said, I will die in your place. And now he brings us together. And God and man are unified together. It's called reconciliation. It happens when we, when we give our lives to Jesus and our sins are forgiven. So friends, this is something that any single one of you could draw on a napkin in a restaurant. You can say what I just, I, did I say anything complex here? Did I say anything you haven't heard before? But here's what I find, that when you say to a person, you explain this to them, and you say at this point, you say, now be honest with me, where are you? You know what they almost always say? I'm over here. And I say, where do you want to be? They say, oh, they'll say, I'm over here. God's over here. I say, where do you want to be? I want to be with God. I say, but you can do that. Jesus has made it possible. And you say, you know what? You can, you can turn from your sin and turn toward God. It's repentance. Repentance, this is repentance. Repentance is changing direction. That's what repentance means. A change of mind and a change of direction. Repentance is, is not saying, I'm sorry. That's confession. Repentance is saying, I was facing this way, now I'm going that way. You can say, you can do that. You can go toward God, and Jesus is God, and you can receive Jesus in your life. He paid the death penalty for you. Ask Him into your life. Ask Him to forgive your sins, and make Him Lord of your life. And the Bible says if you do that, He'll give you a brand new life. Any one of us can explain that, right? Was that complicated? No. Now, you can find all kinds of tracts that have this on it, pre-written out things. Now, here's my deal. Buy one if you want or pick one up, but I, I would never use it to explain the gospel to somebody. You know why? Because they go, what, am I just your project? Just unwind it and explain it, point, 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 point. Any one of us can learn how to do this couple point thing and explain the gospel to somebody. So pick up a track that has the, the bridge illustration and just learn, just learn it. It's like three steps. We can all do that. So, that's what you can say. You tell them your story, and they go, but what's Jesus really done? What's it really mean? I say this. The reason I add the noses in the direction is to make this point out, because this is a misunderstanding people have, to point out that God is the pursuer. What people believe, and it's one false thing about the bridge illustration, why I change it, is that man is sitting here trying to find God. Be honest with me. Of the people that you know that, are, that don't serve Jesus... How many of them are spending all their energies trying to find God right now? They're not sitting in church with us. They're not trying to find God. I didn't try to find God before I knew God. And so this, this, you want to say that even if you tried to do it, you couldn't. But the fact of the matter is God's trying to find us. He's the pursuer. That's why I think adding the direction of the noses says, God's the one searching for us. God's the one who makes the bridge. God's the one who comes to us and opens up his arms and says, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. But then we take a step into his arms. And we can all explain that. So, we've considered, um, what was the first point we considered? Our style. Then we consider what we could say in two minutes. 
Let's consider the last point, okay? And it's this. So you consider, find out who you are. Be able to communicate. Just tell your story and tell the very simple gospel message to someone. And then I think this. The importance of a great church. And I'm going to say, the reason I add this today is because this is becoming... This is, people don't believe this anymore in our culture. Matter of fact, I just had a conversation with somebody this morning about um, church on TV. They said, you know, um, it's summer in the suburbs. Look around you. Three weeks ago, you couldn't find a seat to sit in. It's summer in the suburbs. And, you know, I know there's a bunch of people at the picnic right now, but summer in the suburbs, everybody scatters. They're going camping. They're going wherever. They're going to their cottages. They're doing something. They said, well, why don't we just put our service on online? I said, we might someday. I said, but here's why I, I resist doing it. I said, but everybody does it. But here's why I resist. I do not want to feed the consumerism of our culture that just takes people really one more step away from God. God's the one who says we're supposed to gather together. There's a reason for it. It's not about so you can count how many people are in church and you can take an offering. That's not it. We're doing fine in all regards. You know why it's important? Because in this context is where you grow. In this context, how can the prophetic voice of God speak to you without this context? But in this context, you say, okay, I can hear that online. In this context, you experience. So, here's the deal. You experience the reality of God. So you're with your friend you're telling them about Jesus. You told them your story. You maybe explain the gospel. But one of the things that is the most powerful you could ever do is say, why don't you come to church with me? Now, that's why I said I use the word great church. You say, you're being really arrogant here. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about you. A great church. Because you know what happens when they come in here and they experience awesome people in love with Jesus? They go, this is real. It's not you drawn on a napkin. It's me experiencing something in the presence of God that they don't experience any other way. They experience the reality, the presence of God among the people of God, and you can't get that on a, on a, on a TV show. You cannot get it. There's a very real experience of the presence of God that happens when you come together. Let me give you a perfect example. Two weeks ago, I talked about Teen Challenge. You know what the Teen Challenge ladies said after church? So after church, on Teen Challenge weeks, we, we feed them a meal. And so myself and the staff stay and we feed them a meal. And so we divide up on all our tables, so there's at least one of us at each table with all the Teen Challenge people. And the women sit with the women and the men sit with men. They have very clear rules about that. And Suzanne's with a group of ladies. And you know what they said to her? They weren't talking about her and they weren't talking about me. They said, could we move in this building? She's like, what do you mean? They said, we go all over the place. And we just feel love in this place, unlike other places. We just feel love. So your people are so kind to us. And we feel this, so we feel it in the building. Remember, these are almost all brand new Christians. They're all in their first year of a recovery program. They've all just come to know Jesus, and they're going, we feel something here. What is it? It's the Holy Spirit, and they started saying, and they knew they were being funny. They said, could we just move into the building? Could we just live here? Because they thought it was something that inhabited the structure. And Suzanne's like, it doesn't inhabit the structure. It inhabits you and me. It's him. 
And when we are gathered together in His name, and we intentionally, you see somebody you don't know, and you walk up to that person you don't know and go, Hi, my name's Mark. I don't know that I know you. Now some of you go, you say it to me every week, and you, because I really forget everything. You don't know, you don't believe me. I really forget. And so I'm like, Suzanne will be like, Mark, you know that person. They've been here for a year. You said hi to them every week. Really? You know? And so it's not my strong suit. Um, but anyways... When you do that to someone, they go, I'm important. When you ask them, what's your name? How are you doing? What brings you here? Anybody can ask those questions. You don't preach the gospel at them. You just say, I'm glad you're in our church family today. Is there anything I can help you with? Oh, you have children. Would you like to know where the kids' church is or the nursery is? You don't have to be a greeter to do that. You're all greeters. So when you did that, on Sunday morning, two Sundays ago with the Teen Challenge, they said, we want to move in here. Friends, one of the keys to you being successful in helping people come to know Jesus is we have a little phrase around here to define this. It's called invest and invite. You invest your lives in the people. You love them. You barbecue with them. You take them to ball games. You do what you got to do. You love on them, not in a, in a way to just try to get them to do something, but in building genuine loving friendships. And then if the opportunity arises... You share your faith, and then one of the things you do, you understand to be effective, is you say, I got a great church. Why don't you come to church with me? Matter of fact, we were doing this the other day. We weren't doing the investing part so much, other than a few minutes of investing, but we're checking out at Walmart. And we're going through the line at Walmart and doing what I always do. I love, I wish the whole world had to wear name badges. Because I know everybody's name. And the girl's name was Susie. And I said, Hi, Susie, how you doing? And we're together, and I always got to make sure I talk about my wife if it's a lady. First thing I do is talk about my wife, usually. They don't think I'm hitting on them, because my boys used to say, Dad, the waitress think you're hitting on them. I'm like, no, they don't. I'm, my wife's right here, you know, because you're being so nice to them. And, I'm, and I don't think they ever thought that, but my teenage boys did. So anyways, I'm talking to the lady, and she's talking, and I said, some of a beautiful day, what you doing? And some of what we had hamburgers or something, and she said, oh, I haven't been able to grill it at all this year. I said, oh, why is that? Well, gone through some stuff in my life, and I'm in an apartment now. I don't even have a grill, and we're talking. I said, oh, that's a bummer, and grilling out. I said, wait, you want some grilled-out food for free? She goes, yeah. She said, come to our church picnic this Sunday. And guess what she said to me? She says, where do you go to church? And I said, Portview. She said, I've already been invited to go by Christine Stilo, <laughs> who works there. She said, Christine already invited me. I said, are you going to come? She said, I'm going to try. Are you here today? Susie, I don't know. Um, <laughs> should look around first. But um, said, come. Here's the deal. A great church makes a great impact. And so if you want to help your family members, that's why people around here ask, they say, you know what? I've got to be careful how I say this. There's a reason why we want to function as a church the way the Apostle Paul says a church ought to function in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Decently and in order. It's because you feel safe bringing your friends to church. Because you know what you're going to get. We invite God to do whatever God wants, but we know it's going to be done in a way that is respectful and decent and orderly. So you can bring people and trust what's going to happen. You're not going to be embarrassed by anything that goes on at Portview Church. The only thing that ever embarrassed me here would be if we didn't say hi to somebody. And so we do that really well. So what do you need to help people? Find out who you are. Figure out what to say. Simple. And bring them to a great church. That works in helping people come to find Christ.
Amen? Let's close in prayer. Before we pray, let me just say this. Maybe you're here today, and this is brand new to you. You never, you never thought about this. Us and God never seems so simple. It is simple, because God designed it. And you understand God's there and you're here. And you desperately want to be close to God. As a matter of fact, something inside of you is saying, that's what I need. I need it more than money. I need it more than anything else. I need God in my life. Here's the deal. You can receive the Lord today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Heavenly Father, thank you that we are here today on this gorgeous Sunday morning. Lord, a day that um, we get to come and enjoy your goodness in a beautiful place with wonderful people. And Lord, just be blessed by your, by your presence. And Lord, I would pray this first of all for every person in this place. That Lord, you would help us to, to Lord embrace who we are because who you made us, you made us on purpose. Embrace who we are and then you use that uniqueness to help people that only we could ever reach. Because God, I believe this, you made people at Port View here unique so that they can affect people for you in their sphere of influence that no one else on the planet could because they can't connect the same way. And so, Lord, I pray you would empower. You said the Spirit would come upon us and we would be witnesses. Holy Spirit, I ask for you to empower this church to share your loving message of of salvation with this world around us. Holy Spirit, prompt us, empower us, fill us so that we can be used.